we're going to do a series called Let's Talk About Sex. And we've been doing it. We're going to be doing it with our middle school through our high school. And we want to talk about some of the things that we sometimes are uncomfortable to talk about. Uh, it's important. It's an important topic. And I'm going to ask you to even be praying for me with regard to this. Because when I started thinking about doing this back in uh, like May of last year, I didn't realize all the stuff that's going to be happening in the press where we're at today. And, and I really believe I need to somewhat address that as well. So if even thoughts around that message have changed some. But I, I particularly want to say to parents, because of um, everyone has their own sense of what's appropriate, uh, I don't think there will be anything in one sense that you'd be worse than might see on TV. But I want you to consider whether you want your kids to be in here or not and what that looks like for you. And, and so we want you to be aware of that. The other thing I want to say is we want to hear from you. We, we really want to grow as a church to be more interactive, and there's a lot of tools to do that. So, Mike, why don't you share with us a little bit about a tool that we're going to use because I want to somewhat, as, you know, as we can, answer your questions. So we're going to ask you to send questions to us, and we'll be looking at ways to answer that. But tell us how they can do that. Isn't it encouraging? <clears throat> Sorry, I'm a little under the weather. Isn't it encouraging? Kevin doesn't want me to talk about sex. It's so Yeah. <laughs> Short conversation. Um, all right. So um, there have been 400 people that actually have downloaded the app. So thank you for doing that. Um, it, one of the reasons we got the app is really to be able to do some of the things that we're talking about. And it's two-way communication. So we'll be sending things out next week, probably over the next two weeks, three weeks, um, that allows you to ask questions of Kevin and Peter and who's ever, those are the two that are preaching. Um, so in order to help with that, we have a group um, out back, and those that are Apple users, look for the Apple. Those that are Android users, look for the Android on somebody's shirt out there. And if you're not sure, number one, how to download it, we can help. If you're not sure about notifications, in other words, do I care about children's ministry? If you, if you don't have a child in the ministry and you don't really want to get those notifications, we can help with that. And vice versa. If you do want them, we can help with that. And then thirdly, um, if you are not sure when you're getting a notification, we can help with that as well. So um, it's just an invite to the back of the lobby. If you're not sure, we can help you through that. And we'll be sending out questions to you and then gives you an opportunity to ask questions of Kevin. Great. So that's what we kind of want to do. I'd love for you to take part in that. You're saying, hey, look, at I don't do any kind of electronic stuff. If you want to write it out, you can hand it um, to the desk or in, and they can get those questions to us. Uh, these are going to be anonymous, so feel free. Even on those apps, they're anonymous. They come through. And we're going to... Um, kind of answer those questions. We'll try and do it sometimes through the messages, but there's a couple other ways that we're going to be able to answer some of the questions more specifically. After the series, and Peter Kapsner is going to be speaking on a couple of these, and uh, one of the areas he teaches at, and one of the areas that he's really um, knowledgeable in is in this whole topic of sexuality. And so he's going to share in after the 18th, we're going to begin some class, a class engaged. It's usually at 1045, where there, it's going to be kind of a lot of Q&A. It's going to be an opportunity to really ask some questions and, and talk about that. And then there's another class that will be coming called Awaken Love. And, and so we're going to have you watch for those kind of things that will be coming up. Yes, someone's already excited. So we hear that. Whoever, we thank 
God for that. Hey, you know what? We've been spending the last five weeks, so this is the last of the series, and I, I always, it's like when I read a book, I get to the last chapter. Sometimes when it's a book I really like, I, I kind of go, oh, I wish there was more. Um, I feel in some ways, I, I, I feel like we've just tapped into some of this, and there would be so much more to kind of talk about. But we've been studying um, these whole idea of spiritual practices, and been talking about them from the baptism, the identity and mission that, that Jesus received into the wilderness where his kind of sense of innocence was, was moved to a place through testing, temptations, uh, moved from that to a place of virtue where he then went out prepared to live his life and to share his life, which is what we're talking about today, is this whole idea of what does it mean for you to share your life and how do you do that? How do you do what God wants? In your life. And so we've been talking about that in last week. You know, we've talked one week about uh, how Jesus said no to his appetites through the fasting practice and how no to the voices that are crying out around us all the time by, by getting away into solitude and silence. And we've spoke a little bit about that. We talked about uh, how to say no to temptation and hurry and just this life of busyness and what does it mean to actually slow your life and to live in a slowing practice. Last week we talked specifically about how to say no to living for approval by being willing to disappoint people and be sneaky good. And I often kind of wonder, does any of this stuff get through? You know, is anybody on Sunday taking this on Monday? And I got in an email on Wednesday. So all the way through Wednesday. Hi, Kevin. My name is, and for the sake of anonymity, let's call him Tom, though his real name's John. Anyway, um... (laughs) He writes, hi, my name is Tom and I am an approval addict. I disappoint someone, I disappointed someone yesterday by declining to attend an event scheduled for today. A good one, but probably not a great one. That would have been a three hour commitment, including driving there and back. And I might have attended anyway just to please that person, but thought of your message. I'm thankful for the extra margin in my schedule today. And thank me, and then in parentheses say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not quite sure my wife will get over this, but um, no, anyway, that was my little ad. Um, so we've been talking about this. So this week, what I really want to have us talk about is what I would call one of the last temptations that Jesus faced. And this is one that wasn't in the wilderness, but actually in the garden. And in this temptation, Jesus says no again. We've been talking about the three big no's. The first temptation, you are what you, anybody remember? Have. Uh, this whole idea that, no, I won't be defined by what I have. My security isn't my stuff, but it's in God. And the second one that he faced in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, is you are what you do. Good. No, Jesus says, I won't be defined by what I do. Stand on the temple, you know, up on the temple pinnacle and throw yourself off. Show them what you can do, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I won't be defined by how busy I am and how much I can accomplish. It's in what God does in and through me. And then third, you are what others think. And the devil takes him to the high mountain and this high mountain, he says, here's all these things. You can have it all. And he sees the whole landscape, all the kingdoms and, 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 and Satan says, there's one thing you need to do and that's to worship me. And, and Jesus responds, um, get away from me, Satan. 
And, 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 and Satan has just told him this verse of scripture. He says, you know, God does say that he will protect you. So it, you know, if you, you know, and he says, get away from me. He says to him, um, worship the Lord your God in him and serve him only. With this whole idea of, you know what? I will not bend my knee to your approval or anyone else's approval. I will live with the approval of one in my life, and that is God himself. And so with these three temptations, Satan flees. And we move to Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. At the very end of the temptation, here's what it says when he ends this wilderness temptation. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Luke chapter 4, verse 13 says it this way. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. I love this idea that after he went through this testing, which is really true, when we move through a time of temptation, and we actually move through it completely and test God's faithfulness, he empowers us with more of his Spirit to face things coming up. And so Jesus returns and he has now power. It says it's very unique, power of the spirit. And, and, and as you look at Matthew, as we've been looking at this, what does Matthew have to say? Matthew says in chapter 4, verse 23, something similar. From there, he went all over Galilee. He used synagogues for meeting places and taught people the truth of God. And God's kingdom was esteemed that beginning right now, they were under God's government, a good government. And he also healed the people of their diseases and of the bad effects of their bad lives. I'm reading from the message. Word got around the entire Roman province of Syria. And people brought anybody with an ailment, whether mental or emotional or physical. And Jesus healed them one and all. And more and more people came and the momentum was gathering. And, and besides those from Galilee, crowds came from the ten towns, which was across the lake, Lake Galilee. And others up from Jerusalem. They came from Jerusalem, Judea, and still others came from across the Jordan. So the people are, the word's getting out and people are coming to him. And what I thought I would do is here's kind of how the end of this wilderness temptation takes place. And you see that Jesus leaves these temptations and he goes and he shares. He gives his life away. And so I wanted to kind of briefly walk through Matthew, just get a, a, a quick landscape of what this gospel has to say. If you go through this gospel of Matthew, you'll see that the next thing he shares with us is from chapter 5 through 9. He has what I call large teaching sections. So you have the Sermon on the Mount. But as you go through 5 through 9, there's also a number of, of miracles and healings and things that he has done. And he goes throughout Galilee and he's teaching and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and he's healing people and people are flocking to him. And then you come to chapter 9, verses 35 through 39. It's kind of an interesting thing because he has said just a few moments ago, he went through Galilee and he did all these things. And, and then he, Matthew says he went out and did those things. And now he kind of bookends it with these words. Jesus traveled around through all the cities and the villages of that area. It's almost some of the same language as what was in that last verse I read to you. Teaching in the Jewish synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And wherever he went, he healed people of every sort of illness. And what, and what pity he felt for the crowds that came because their problems were so great and they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is so great and the workers are so few, says Jesus. 
So they pray to the one in charge. He says, pray to the one in charge of the harvesting and ask him to recruit more workers for his harvest field. And that ends at that point in the Matthew Gospel at chapter 9, right at the end. And it's this idea, here is Jesus going out and he's doing all these things, these practices that have put him in a place where the Spirit of God is doing what God wants him to do. He's doing it. He comes to the end and he looks out and he says, there are so many people coming And the reason he has these disciples is because he wants to train them to do, not just to think what he thinks, not just to um, have an understanding of what he's understanding, but he wants them to do what he's doing. So in chapter 10, you come to a place where Jesus commissions the 12 and he sends them out to do the very same things he's doing. And he gives them instructions on doing it. And then as you go through the Matthew's gospel, you'll see chapter 11 through 25, another large teaching section and another section of Jesus going around doing the things that he said he would do until you come to chapter 26 through 7 where Jesus stands now before his greatest sacrifice and before Jesus shares his life in the ultimate way he faces the ultimate temptation the biggest test that he will face he goes into the garden what's really interesting is in the garden just like there was in the wilderness there's three big no's that Jesus says But they're all three big no's to the very same temptation. And so I want us to read together Luke chapter 22. So please stand, and you just listen to the word as it's read, but I'm asking you to stand and take in. I'll be reading from the message, because I think it says it in in a way that it's easy for us to understand. But just if you would listen as I read, verse 39. Leaving there, he went, as he so often did, to the Mount Olives. So there again, as we talk about practices, this was a custom. He would go off into the garden where he'd pray. And the disciples followed him. When they arrived at the place, he said, pray that you don't give in to temptation. This is not now just a temptation that I'm facing when he was in the wilderness alone. This is a temptation we're all facing, he's saying. He pulled away from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, remove this cup from me. But please, please, Father, not what I want. What do you want? He did that three times. We don't see that in this account of Luke, but you see it in Matthew. And at once, an angel from heaven was at his side, strengthening him, and he prayed on all the harder sweat, wrung from him like drops of blood poured off his face. And he got up from prayer, went back to the disciples, and found them asleep, drugged by grief. He said, what business do you have sleeping Get up, pray, so you won't give in to temptation. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand how we can live this life as you call us to live it. Teach us to want what you want. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me be seated. Here's the temptation. We've said each week, you are what you have, you are what you do, you are what others think. Here's the temptation. Here's the underlying deepest temptation. You are what you want. We live in that culture today. If I desire it or I think I want it, then I, I obviously I should have it. I should go get it. I, I mean, I, you are what you want. And Jesus could have easily come to that place But when you look at the life of Jesus throughout his life, he was seeking to do what? His Father's will. I want to do what 
what you will. I want to do what you want, God. Isn't it amazing that when it comes to the greatest gift of sharing his life, of being able to do what God wants in any occasion... Can you imagine that? In any occasion. So you're in a situation at work and you're finding yourself where it's, it's tempting or you're finding yourself where you're feeling disappointed or, or, or maybe someone has, your boss has said something and you want to react or whatever it is. Every time Jesus faced something like that, he did what his father wanted. You're in a relationship with someone that you love, your spouse, your family, whatever, and you're in a situation and, and you want to do this, but... Here's Jesus once again. He does what his father wants. Now, we're broken people, so we need to understand that. We always kind of want to say here, everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything's possible. But I, I want you to hear that. You know, you are welcome. I don't care who you are and where you come from. And, and nobody, we all recognize nobody's perfect. So we will not do perfectly what Jesus lived out. But there's also this thing that, that, that drew people to Jesus was this hope that, that there is this God who is alive who can work through us to do the things he wants. And so the temptation, though, is to just do what you want. And, and Jesus was facing that because a want is what's deepest within you. And so deep within Jesus, what I think is really interesting is he's in the garden, he's being tempted, and he's so incredibly honest about the temptation. Father, I don't want to do this. In the depths of my being. In our culture, we'd say, yeah, you know, then go with it. Right? You know, live it out. Just do it. Father, I don't want to do this. Is there another way? So important. Three times he faces that question. And then he kind of says, hear my prayer, Father, please, not what I want, but what you want. Now, I don't know whether the Father was silent or not at that point. We're not told. But what Luke tells us, that at a certain point, as he was in prayer, and he said that three times and he had wrestled with it, he came to the point and he goes, you know, I don't hear anything different. And this is what I know to be true in God's word. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to walk this out. I'm going to make the commitment to do what he wants and I'm going to trust him no matter what it means. Ever been in that kind of place? What I find is interesting that when he makes a commitment prayer at once, it says an angel from heaven was at his side, strengthening him. Never forget you guys. And when you're in those moments and, and you're making that and you're deciding to say, oh, I'm going to step right into the teeth of this thing, God is for you. He really is. He wants to come and strengthen your own resolve. But he, he, he needs you to kind of act in faith to do it. And I want to say again, if you fail and you fall, Satan wants to keep you in shame and he wants to attack you with shame, just... Admit it, get it out there. Confessing means you get it out here so you don't live in the silence of that shame and then walk again with the Lord. Because you're going to face that test, but God is for you and he wants you to pass. Your identity and your mission, though, will never be found. Think about this. You are what you want. Your identity or mission will never be found merely in what you want. Who you are, your sense of self, and what you are called and made to do is found in God and God will give you that understanding. Now, I was um, at a dinner with an individual, and I was um, 
in the Miami area. We had a dinner, and it was a group of people, and it was my responsibility to pay for it. And so I was given the bill, and the guy next to me saw that I didn't have a pen, so he gives me this pen. And um, and I go ahead, and I press down on it, and I got the shock of my life. And he just sat there and laughed. I mean, this I don't even want to do it because nothing will come out of here. He thought it was so funny. The reason I share this with you is I want you to understand that our culture tells us go with our want and our want will be what kind of reveals who we're to be. God is the creator. He makes it. So in my mind, I was thinking, press this and it works like a pen. If I would have just gone to the guy, just think about it. said, how does this pen work? He goes, well, when you press this, you're going to get shocked because the creator knows what it's made for, right? Think about that a second. The, the one who creates the thing can tell you how it works and what it's supposed to do. And so in the same way, here is Jesus. He recognizes that the creator has made me. He knows. And so if you really want to know your identity and what your mission and your call is, and I'm not saying it comes immediately, but as you come to him again and again, say not what I want, but what you want, you will begin over time to begin to understand what your identity, that you are loved by God and that you've been created for a purpose, whatever that might look like in your life. And every one of us are. So what I want to share with you is just a couple of practices that I think will help you and to help, as I have lived some of these out, it helps us understand how to do and how to, you know, how to want what God wants. Okay? So I'm going to share with you just a couple of practices. And again, a spiritual practice is, is doing something. That's when you engage in something, whether it be in prayer or giving or, or reading God's word, you're engaging in something. Or it's a spiritual practice, which is called a disengagement, where you where you do not do something, such as you don't eat food and fasting, or you move into solitude and silence and you get away. That's disengagement. So there's ones of engagement and disengagement. I'm going to talk about a couple that are more a little more engagement kind of focused today. But they basically are practices that you do, just like a person who plays the piano. If you're you have a spot where you maybe have a triplet and you can't do it real well. You want to kind of work on that spot and isolate that spot to get better. And some of these practices actually isolate things within our own character, in our own spirit, to help us get better in this. And so what it does is it disrupts the flow of thoughts that are almost coming unconsciously so that we can, through a practice, become aware of it and make conscious new thoughts. And you need to think about this because when I talk about giving at one point, you're going to see how brilliant Jesus is because he he talks about um, one of these practices that actually disrupts the thoughts. And the first one we're going to talk about is prayer. In a very simple way of saying it, spiritual disciplines break bad habits and enable change and growth to occur deep within our character. And one practice that is, I could spend the next series of 10, 12 weeks on this, but one simple one we're just going to spend just a couple minutes on, you see in this temptation with Jesus is prayer. He just spent time and engaged in conversation with his father. He just said, you know what? Listen to what he says to his own disciples. Oh, and I forgot to tell you this. So you go through chapter 26 and 27 where you have the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You know what 28 is? You remember how he said you go through chapter 9, verse 10, he sends out his 12? You go through the whole thing. Here you have the whole life. You come to chapter 28. You know how chapter 28 ends? He's not just sending out the 12. He's sending out all of us to do what Jesus does. That's kind of the pattern. So go out, he says, and share your life. And if you want to do what God wants you to do, one of the things you can do is pray. And so he ends up and he says, what business do you have sleeping? Get up, pray 
so you won't give in to temptation. In fact, he says, exhausted and tired, filled with sorrow. I like drugged with grief. Those are the times to pray. Those are important times to pray. Because when you're tired and when you're not at your best, it's those are the times where your deepest desires just come out. And prayer is a simple statement. It really is as simple as this, Father, help me. I'm just going to take some time because I need you right now because I really want this. This is what my desire wants. But deep, deep down, I'm stopping to converse with you because I want what you want. I really want to be empowered to do what you want me to do. I want to act in faith. And the battle, here's what's so interesting is Jesus goes into the garden. Think about this. The battle in the physical realm that he walked out to the courts before Pilate and Herod and and to the cross, the battle that took place out here was actually won in prayer in the garden. The battle that you will win in the physical realm out here is the one that you win first in here, in your spirit. That's why prayer is so important. Because Jesus prayed and he went through it and he was resolved. And when he made the resolve, the angels showed up, they attended him, they came to him. And then he walked out all the way through the cross. I think the hardest part of that whole walk to the cross was in the garden. It's really important to understand that Jesus won the battle in the garden through prayer before he faced the battle in the court and on the cross in the public domain. So what you do in your private time in prayer, if you want to look at a spiritual practice that disrupts your thought and says, God, I need to stop for a moment. Because a lot of times in our daily stuff, we don't even know what we want. Do you get up? Do you take time in the morning to say, God, today... I have a lot of wants. Would you help me as I think through my day, as I think through my week in prayer, would you help me just get a hold of what I really want so that I can do what you really want? That makes sense? And so that's what Jesus does. That's one of the first things that Jesus does. The second thing, so it's one of the ways that kind of I, I put this is the more you want what Jesus wants, the less you will want what you desire. Prayer is, in one sense, an opportunity to, to daily, you know, at lunchtime, I don't care what it is, but a time to just stop and say, I want what you want. Because the more you want what God wants, the less you will just move into necessarily the things you desire. Now, we all react, we all sin, we do all those things, but there is a sense that as you do that, you can actually, you can actually forestall or go through things that happen through the day differently. I was thinking about this with regard to my, my wife and, and myself. When my parents, they were, when they were alive, we would get together with them, and I, as a son, would sometimes fall into habits of being a son into our own family system, which didn't make my wife always feel really great. Anybody have that kind of thing going on sometimes in your own? Yeah, some of you are going. So we would eventually, it took a long time to get this, but we would have our own little time of getting together, conversing and praying. And we would say, okay, now when we get together, there's going to be some things that could be landmines. So let's just in forethought kind of recognize we don't know when they'll come, but here's how we're going to respond. This is what we're going to do and let's commit together and let's be one in this. That's what God wants to do with you in your life through prayer. Next is what I call practice consistent giving. And you're going to probably think, you know, how in the world do you get consistent giving as a practice that will help you do what God wants you to do? So first, I just need you to understand that in the word of God, 
that, and you've heard some of you, you heard this before, that, that this idea of money and giving is probably one of the most often repeated topics throughout the New Testament, especially in the life of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus talked about money and generosity more than he talked about heaven and hell? Um, did you know that Jesus talked more about money than any other subject except for one? The kingdom of God, which took in everything. Do you know that 11 of the 39 parables talk about money? That one of every seven verses in the gospel of Luke is about money. And, and the reason I'm saying this is because it is money. It's our generosity, the giving aspect that is one of the, that is, has the greatest hold sometimes in our life. And there's a reason for that. Jesus spoke more about money in this idea of giving in faith and trusting God than all these other topics because money is the closest thing to what we know is God. That's why at one point he says you can't serve what? Two masters. You either serve what? One. God or money. And the reason he says that is because money itself, if you have lots of it, it's, it means you have lots of power, right? You can kind of get the things you want. If you have lots of money, you can feel pretty secure. See, money kind of builds in the sense of what God wants us to live with, the sense of dependence and reliance on him. But it, money can be a quick substitute. And he's not against money. He's not, about, he's not even about that I want all your money and you, in this whole thing, the church. You know, some of you, if you're new or you're you know, thinking, all oh, the church talks about money. Well, the reason it, that God talked about money, Jesus talked about money, is because he knew that that was the closest thing on earth in one sense for most people to God. Both his power to do things in your life and the security that he gives you throughout your life. And what God is wanting us to learn is that, you know what, it is not my money. Because the moment a child gets sick, the moment that um, a a spouse dies, the moment that you are um, having health problems, the moment that you have things happening in certain areas of your life that are beyond the control of that, that God can't come through for you. You can die with all kinds of money. That God can't come through for you. So here's here's what I want to show you. There are three principles to this practice of giving that I believe Jesus wanted us to understand that combat the 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 um, temptation of you are what you want. That temptation, you are what you want. And these principles are really, I think, important. So I'm going to go through them, um, this first one, rather quickly. And the first one is this. Um, Doing what God wants, principle number one, makes sense. And and this is going to be so quick because it should make sense to you. When you have the choice, or when you make this choice and you begin to realize that everything I have is God's, it's not mine in the first place, it, it moves this whole conversation to a new place. This is not mine. I am just a manager. This is all on loan. Even my children are not mine. Even the breath that I breathe is not mine. All this is God's. So it makes sense. What you want is God's to begin with, right? And so you, you have this first principle that's found in, in all kinds of scripture, but Psalm 50 verse 12, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And one of the easy ways to practice this through the day is I encourage you to do this. This is, this is kind of what the, the prayers at your mealtime are about. They're not some kind of routine thing. They're to kind of go, God, thank you, because there's people who don't have food. And the food I'm eating right now, thank you for providing it. But you bought it, right? No. You bought it, but who, who gave you the paycheck? Just put the string all the way back. 
An easy thing to do is go into your home and, and as you look at your house, go, God, thank you that this is mine on loan. Not just from the bank, but from God himself. It's this whole idea, it, it, this, this, this sense of doing what God wants makes sense specifically in this area of giving because he is the owner of it all. So that's the first thing I just want to share. The second principle, because if you don't have that, you none of this other stuff will make as much sense. Because the teaching throughout the Bible is that God is the absolute owner of everything or managers. And the first principle is essential to this practice of giving. It establishes a spiritual reality that helps us to begin to live by what God wants in one of the most difficult areas for us to give humble submission to. Here's the second thing I want you to think about. Principle number two of this. Doing what God wants through consistent giving, becomes automatic. It becomes a part of our character. And this is what God wants more than anything, is for us to become generous people. I want you to listen to, let's read Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by others. Catch that, okay? I think Jesus was incredibly humorous. Uh, humor changes throughout time. If you watch an old movie, it won't be funny as it would maybe back then as it is now. But he says, here, like those who go in, one of the things that a person does when they give money, he was kind of saying that, you know, when they give money, they, they want to draw attention to themselves and they, they blow the trumpets and, and everyone looks and goes, look what I did. Okay, he says... As he goes on, he says, truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. That was the reward. They wanted to be noticed. But when you give, here's the thing that I want you to catch. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Think for a second. How do you let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing? Vice versa. It's just, you can't do it. Right? And so the whole idea here, here's the point, consistent giving. If you start to give consistently from a pure heart and you do it over and over again, what Jesus is saying, it becomes a part of your heart. It becomes natural. It becomes a part of your character. It becomes who you are. Your identity becomes a person who is generous and a giver. And his whole point of of this is not saying, well, try and do something so your left hand doesn't know. He's saying, do it so much that it becomes a part of who you are. It's almost unconscious. So when a person asks, it's almost like there's no sense of giving and going, hey, look what I did. Right? Now here's how you, here's, just catch this. What Jesus is brilliant. He's, he's, he's thinking of a principle we all know about. It's about learning to live with automatic responses. How many of you, when you were younger, tied your shoe for the first time? Your mother tied you out of tight, you did all that stuff, and you got done. What happened? Mom went what? Good job. And so the next time when you tied it on your own, what did you do? Look, mom, aren't you proud of how I did that? Now, catch this. When you do it for a while, and now you're 12 years of age, and you say, look, mom, that's a little screwy. Jesus is saying immaturity is a thing that when you give, you go, wow, God, look what I did. 
You may not tell anybody, but inside you're feeling this sense of pride. He's going, people who really grow in this whole practice and understanding that you want what God wants and you consistently give, you put yourself in a position. It doesn't have to because you can give for the wrong motives, but if you do it out of the right motive, saying, God, I want what you want. I want to become like you. I want your character over time. It's not kind of like when you go, wow, look, God. What happens over time is what happens so often in our life. You know, you learn to eat with your right, with, yeah, your right hand. I learned to eat with my left hand. You ever try and eat with the opposite hand? Find it difficult? Let's say you go to work one route every day. You can almost do that without thinking, right? It's like your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing because it's become automatic. But you take a new route, you gotta think about it. So now think of this. Let's just say, who has shoes you can tie here? See, I don't like to tie shoes because it's too much time. I like to just slip them on and go. So, when you tie your shoe, try tying it with your, if you usually use your right hand to do that, use your left hand. I did that this week and it took me three or four times to finally get it. That's what it means by your right hand not knowing your left hand's doing. See, when you do it over time, it becomes so automatic that part of your character becomes generous. God is now being woven into the very person that he wants you to be. I'm not talking about, people have all kinds, you know, are in different financial places. It does not matter. It's not about how much, it's about the heart. What Jesus says about the practice of giving, because it's got such power in our life, is that most of us stay in a place of what I would call incessant, deep immaturity. Because it's kind of like, God, look what I did. i got to tell you, I, I wrestle with that. What God is saying is, no, just like tying your shoe, if by 12 you're still going, wow, look, Mom! If you want what God wants, one of the practices that are really important in your life is to recognize that all this stuff is his. So now you're on loan with it. And now if you really want what God wants, you begin to start not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing, which means simply you begin to do it again and again out of faith, out of a pure heart that says, God, I want your wants. I want to be the light in the things you delight. And over time, what happens is that when you give something, your heart's not even hardly thinking about it. It's because Become a part of who you are. And the last is just a simple thought. There's only one place. You know, we looked at these tests. And principle number three, doing what God wants grows trust. There's, there's only one place in scripture where God says, test me. It's in, found in Malachi. I'm not going to go through and read it for you. But Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. At one point... He's saying, you guys rob me. They go, what do you mean we rob you, God? We bring you all these animals and sacrifices. And he goes, you don't bring in the whole tithe, the whole offering. You rob me. And because of that, I can't bless you. Bring your whole tithe, the whole gift, he says. And and then listen to how it says in in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe. Test me in this. That's the only time that he says it. I think he says it because this has such a grip on our heart. 
Now, he's not saying, go ahead and live foolishly and spend foolishly. He's saying, bring this whole area of your life as best you can in order and understand it and begin to develop a heart that wants what I want. Prayer will help you do it. Generosity and giving consistently will help you begin to form that in your heart. And this practice will form within you a heart to do what God wants. Over time, it will take more It honestly will make more and more sense. It becomes automatic and it develops a deep trust as you kind of test God and his faithfulness and you step out and you begin to realize God really is for me. He wants. He wants me to want and he will help me want what he wants. I'm going to ask the team to come and we're going to um, move into a time of communion. And this communion is um, so important because it's, it's, it's a celebration of how Jesus was so generous to us when we didn't deserve it. So if the team would come and the, the folks who, um, who also are going to take uh, and serve the communion would come forward at this time, I'd appreciate it.